Welcome to the Next Step Business Podcast. I'm Bob Camp, your host. For each podcast, I'm inviting successful business leaders to discuss strategy, execution, high-performing teams, innovation, and more. Join us to learn more about getting the business you want and living life on your terms. I want to introduce Brian Strong, CEO of Ten Hats. And Brian, before we get into what you do today and the world that you live in, let everybody know more about who you are and and how did you get to where you are today? Well, it was an interesting story. So uh, um, I went to Farragut High School here. So I moved around a little bit as a kid, started four days before um, Farragut High School and always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit. And one of the fortunate things going to Farragut is I had several friends that had a father just that owned businesses. And, um, and so I asked them, and I've always, you know, having that entrepreneurial spirit, just, uh, you know, um, some advice as I got older. Um, and one of them gave me, um, advice that, uh, he said, you know, you should get into sales after you get out of college. Um, he goes, one thing a company always needs is to generate revenue. If you can generate revenue for your company, then, uh, you know, it, it'll be, it has a better chance of being successful. Let's put it that way. Um, so went through college, um, and then my first job out of college, I sold railroad materials. So the actual tracks and rails and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I traveled a lot, so it was um, not you know, conducive for what I was looking for. And so I kind of floundered around through a couple of other jobs and had a Sunday school teacher that had a, uh, uh, a manager that he really liked on, on teaching sales and uh, how to work type thing. And so I went to work for him and it was in the telecom industry. Um, he's at actually a local, um, farmers insurance or state farm, Jake Swedan. And, uh, he really just beat into me, frankly, um, worth ethic from the standpoint of just getting out and talking to people and, uh, you know, putting a, a work rhythm of just, um, constantly, prospecting, constantly talking, you know, just a, um, you know, uh, just a rhythm to work, I guess you want to say. Um, a lot of discipline, tons of discipline. Um, and so from there, um, I had built a network of people around town, um, and there was uh, an IT firm here locally um, that uh, recruited me to come work for them. One, I was just honor just to be asked to, to come um, interview for the job and um, 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 and so as I went over there to, you know to talk to them I was like I don't really know anything about technology and they're like we're just looking for good people which was a, a good quality in a company just we're just looking for good people we can teach them technology um, and so through that I really started flourishing too, because I love the uh, complexity of IT. There's a lot of um, moving pieces and parts. And then I, I guess my mind's just geared that way. And just, uh, um, it was one of those, I like being able to help a company. Um, they would tell me what they're trying to accomplish and they wouldn't use you know, proper acronyms or proper jargon or anything like that. But I didn't really care. I just wanted them to, I could translate it. I thought that was my job. 
is to them tell me the, the problems and I would translate it into the solutions that they were looking for. And it just, I don't know, I love being that guide through technology. Um, and as I continued to uh, grow in my career, um, I guess I was getting close to, uh, I guess I was 34 at the time, had the best uh, um, year in my career, sold a, an account that was you know, life-changing. And then two months later, I broke my leg severely. So, uh, uh, surgery, plates and screws, all those kind of different things. And um, I would tell people while I was um, on the, all the heavy medication, I started thinking clearly. Um, and uh, I was uh, going back, I was just ready for something new. Um, I kind of uh, ready for the next step. Um, there wasn't really a um, path for me at my at the current employer, so I really just started hunting around for um, a new opportunity. Um, you know, was it going to be a franchise or was it going to be? You know, I really didn't want to do a startup. I was hoping, you know, maybe there was some person going to retire and needed a succession plan or something like that. And so, but lo and behold, I started pitching a couple of software ideas that I had heard along my way at Claris and just started seeing, really, it was the sales. Like, you know, is there a niche in the market for this software? And it was like in the construction uh, industry. Um, and in the construction industry, I had a, um, a friend, Chuck Witowski, he was kind of a... Um, uh, kind of somewhat of a mentor, and he gave me some advice when I was pitching his ideas. He just said, you know, he has an 80% rule. He's like, if 80% of the, the people you talk to are saying, yes, they would buy it, you, you're on to something. Doesn't mean it's going to be good, but you're on to something. He's like, anything below that, throw it away and move on to something else, right? Um, and so I started pitching this idea, and a third of the people enthusiastic about it a third of them were like, man, and a third of them were like, we don't need that. So obviously it was a pretty bad idea, but I ended up in front of a, um, um, the county purchasing department. Uh, Hugh Holt was the uh, purchasing director at the time. I was pitching the idea to him. He, his eyes glazed over, and I was like, what's your biggest problem? And he says, we don't have enough vendors bidding on our solicitations. And so um, it was a common database set that we need, and that and that conversation was the birth of vendor registry. Um, Shy started up, um, had a partner, Chris Van Beek, and Wader Obosky helped me a lot with that company as well. Um, did that for six and a half years. We grew that company to be one of the, like, the sixth largest public procurement softwares in the country. We had 500 governments using that, and something like 100,000 vendors that were using that platform. Um, and then in 2020, um, it sold to a competitor. Um, uh, it was a great learning experience for Chris and I. Um, now they say that there was three things um, that you should get, you, you possibly can get out of a startup and that's considered a success. You uh, sell for multi-millions, I mean, you have an exit, and then you make some money. Um, so we did two of those. Um, and the third one, you know, we were, uh, you know, lucky to get all our investors' money back. We got a little bit, but it was the learning experience really set me up for um, 10 hats. Um, 
one of the things coming from sales uh, role into uh, vendor registry was um, just um, we were very systematic at Claris, but I never really appreciated the systems that we had put in place. Um, the accountability, all these different things are really running the business. Uh, I was a sales guy, right? So I was out there just hustling, terrible at paperwork, terrible at processes. Um, it was, uh, and then over at uh, Vendor Registry, I, um, I led the development team, uh, did a lot of the operations. I was bookkeeping. I, mean, I was doing all these different things. It was so really my appreciation for what we had done at Clearus. And then I really translated that over into vendor registry and I had to grow really quick. Um, being baptized by fire, you know, I like to say. Um, uh, it was so, it was so bad. I actually called my, uh, one of the previous owners, Dave Sagres, um, who I learned a lot from. And I apologized about how bad I was uh, operationally. He, he said, Brian, if you didn't sell as much, we would have fired you. He was like, he, he goes, you were terrible. And I was like, I get it now. Um, but through that process of growing vendor registry and just the discipline and the, the systems that we put in place and the methodology and all those kind of different things really prepared me to come over here between my background in IT and then also the systematic approach that we did that. Also, um, you know, uh, Claris um, sold um, the two owners. That was, um, Claris got really big, um, you know. Um, I never asked them, but I would say that it probably got beyond their wildest dreams. Um, and so uh, they ended up selling to, te uh, to Tech Links. Um, and then when the, the the company sold. It was owned out of different city. So culture change. People started leaving. Then uh, it got sold again. Culture change. People left. And so there was a there was a group of us that really stayed front work. Went through that experience at Claris that really, really desired to work together. At some point, we thought it was a pipe dream. Um, but this was an opportunity that hey, we're getting. I was looking at a different industry, they actually, when Tidhats, SH Data Tech at the time, called me and they asked me if I wanted to come back. I said, no, I was like, not interested in doing that again. You can't catch lightning in a bottle twice. Um, and so uh, through a series of conversations, um, one of them being that if we built a company back again, if I was to participate, I wanted to make sure that the company wasn't sold. Um, and so Ten Hats is a wholly owned company by Covenant Health. Um, and I, I asked the, the executives that were a part of that, I'm like, what, what's your plans to be uh, with a Ten Hats if you're uh, with the company? And they're like, we don't know what selling is. We, we hold companies. You know, this is um, Jim Vanderstieg, who's oh, wonderful. He says, you know, this is not our core business, but IT is core to our business. And so if we can, if you can, we can leverage 10 hats, what they do out in the marketplace, serving the company is really well. And then with, with covenant on the back end, if we can actually purchase things together, uh, do contracts together, all these kind of different things, it could reduce the cost over in, in the healthcare system. That was just, I loved his vision of like what he was seeing. So that, 
Um, they didn't want to really meddle in the IT firm. They just wanted somebody to come in and just operate it with, along with the data center too. So we've got a first data center built in um, East Tennessee, or in the Knoxville area in 20 years. Um, so they just wanted somebody to operate it, to do it, to, to grow it. Um, so they give me a, a lot of autonomy, lots of support, um, and we got to bring back a lot of our uh, a lot of our friends that we like to work with. So there was a third component too uh, for me to come back was um, I tried this was I looked at the marketplace. Uh, one thing I saw was there was a lot of small IT firms, but there wasn't like an enterprise, like a locally owned, really large enterprise um, IT firm, which Claris was known for. That's what we um, uh, we established ourselves. We we work with really small companies. Uh, we bring the enterprise expertise down to the small companies instead of the small companies going up to the enterprise. It just doesn't quite work the opposite direction. Um, and so those three things kind of really brought me back to this uh, opportunity, and um, it's been it's been fun. Um, we've uh, we've tripled in size in the last two years, um, both in revenue. Um, we're about close to that in employees as well. So it's uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So that's kind of what led me here. What's that? Yeah. Long answer. Sorry. No, no, that was good. Uh, it gives me a lot of, it was just a lot of mental notes here to go back to. One of the things you hit on was work ethic, which is a whole subject in itself. And how do we develop that? Because I think that is one of the critical aspects of any success, whether you decide to build houses or work in IT or run an organization or be a CEO do a startup or run a family business. The other piece that you brought up, I wanted to go back to, and that was listening to your customer and speaking to them in their language. I thought that was you know, not exactly what you said, but you, you made the comment was they weren't using all the acronyms where they just know their business, they know their challenges and their needs. That's right. So, so what, what insight can you have for, for any CEO out there who has an organization that's customer facing, talk about processes and disciplines and doing the right things, what insights can you, can you give around how that organization needs to operate? So, I mean, uh, one thing I do is a lot of self-reflection and then a lot of perspective, right? Put yourself in that person's position and what would you want to hear? They're, whatever business that we're working with, they're experts at what they do, right? You know, we could not, I could not step into their position and tell them how to operate their business or be an expert in, the, in their business. I'm an expert in my mind, right? So I'm gonna treat them that from the same respect that I know my business really well, they know their business really well. So I'm gonna communicate that way of like, you tell me in your words, the best way to describe my business, I can translate that. It's the same thing with I'm talking to them. The words that I use talking to them about their business, are they aren't the right ones. You know, I'm going to have missteps. I'm going to have to do all, you know, and it's fine, right? You know, that's part of the communication of this grace that we extend to each other just because they don't, they don't know IT as well as I know how to run a medical practice. I wouldn't know the first thing, right? Um, so I think um, having a healthy perspective of 
what what you're good at and your roles and what you can do and also having a great respect for what they do in their position um, put you on a level playing ground in just you know different industries frankly mm-hmm. as you said there's no way I can know their business as well as they do if they're using words that I don't understand I need to ask but I think like you said just being on a level playing ground just being there trying to within the intention of of serving their needs but first you need to understand them if and that's that's the reason for the conversation that's uh right. yeah uh go back to the process and systems because that's having been one of those salespeople, I understand the value of process but there's also that element because there's two sides right there's this element of we need to know what's going on so that we can better project and protect the business. And because it's really important to do that. But the other side of it too is when you have a salesperson who outperforms or salespeople who outperform, what do you do to change the process or give them freedom in the process? That's, that's a really good question. Um, so going back to processes and procedures, um, from just for a minute, it's, um, you're setting the, it's like a playbook, right? You know, if you're the football and the easy football analogy, right? If, if everybody has a position, has a role and they, we go to the playbook and quarterback hikes the ball. And if you're on offense or defense, it doesn't matter. Right. Same things happen, you know, based on that play, you react in a certain way on the position that you do. If you don't have a good playbook and you don't have good expectations or, you know, processes, you know, if you're on the offense, everybody just goes out for the ball, right? Well, that's, that doesn't get you anywhere, right? You might, uh, you know, mistakenly or accidentally score, but it's not very efficient, right? So if everybody understands their role and what they do, uh, then we can actually play together and it's organized, and it's and, and the um, your outcomes are a lot better. So if you think about um, f- football in general, right? The best teams execute the best, pure and simple, right? And th- and then if they execute better, they get better players because they know how to play better, right? So I mean, it's just it's self fulfilling on that. So going back to sales, right? Um, so. Uh, it's understanding the person, I think, part of it. Um, and so how do salespeople think? How do their roles act? You know, giving them um, the necessary process and procedures, like, and the things that they have to do. But if they know, and, and explain it to them why, right? Once you, um, even if somebody has to do a little bit more ec- uh, extra work, that they understand the why, they'll do it because it affects the next person down the line, right? If you don't block, you know, as a receiver, you receive the ball. But if it's a running play, they're blocking. So why are, you know, I mean, if you understand why I have to block, even though that's not really, you know, I like catching balls, right? So, I mean, it's one of those, like if I can, if I block that, the running back can has, has a lot better chance of getting the, the ball down the, down the field. And guess what? It might not exactly be the role that I like to play. It helps the team as a whole. Um, so I think that from same thing with sales, right? 
is like, know, know the role, they're a receiver. I don't you know what it is, but from time to time, they have to block. And if they understand why, I think they're more uh, uh, likely to, to, to follow the process. I like that analogy because just as in sports, there's this element of there are certain stats that are really important. And they're, they're important because they're the stats that matter about winning the game. And, and to your point, you can stumble into a touchdown because defense picked up the ball and carried it in. But, right. but to win a game, it's about how well you execute. And an average team executing at a high level will outperform high talent team Great. performing at a low level. That's, that's exactly right. And, and I, I like what you said too. It is, if I'm a salesperson and we're executing consistently well, and now we're recruiting better technical talent behind me, we're doing a better job. And oh, by the way, we're now recruiting better sales talent beside me. We all get better. Our reputation gets better. We win more games. Life becomes a little bit easier. It does. But we still have to work for it. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's still, you still work for it. Uh, but the work seems to uh, become more fun, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me more about your perspective on, as you're working with businesses, and to your point, some of the, they're more, some of the ones that you work with have more complex needs. Their businesses are more complex. What are you thinking that these executives, what do they need to be more open to, or what do they need to be thinking about differently as we progress? Because technology is such a critical part of the business model today. Everything from how do I acquire clients, whether it's through the website, social media, to the back end systems and how do I keep the data I need to have, how I improve efficiencies. How are you thinking? First, do you think you're thinking far enough ahead or do they need to be thinking a little bit further out or what needs to stay the same, what needs to change? I threw a lot out. Yeah, that's a, um, um, yeah, that is a lot. No, that's a, no, that's good. I understand what you're saying too. So I think there's, um, we'll go back to the name 10 hats real quick, just to give you an example. 10 hats is emblematic. So if there's like 10 functions in IT, so we're looking at from like a, a large organization, right? What we'll say is like, what are you guys proficient at? What are you guys really good at out of these 10? So maybe it's seven. And so maybe we can help with those three, offload those three so that you guys can be more effective, right? Uh, IT is quickly, um, if and I'm arguably already there, and become more of an operational aspect of the company. You have to have technology to operate the company, right? So what we're what we're finding is um, also the larger organizations are looking for the IT talent to really help the achieve operational goals. And you know, how do their end users use their softwares more effectively? What are the projects that they're put in place to really drive forward these objectives? And then they're looking Know, for like companies like us to offload the the maintenance the 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 things that um, you know have to be done but they're not business drivers and so that's where we really partner with a lot of these larger organizations where we can do you know patches and backups and all these different things that are critical to the business but they're not a com they're not a competitive you know competitive advantage to, to any anymore and uh, 
And so I think uh, our companies, um, it, it's all over the place. I think um, one of the things that we're seeing uh, in the trends, everybody's having a hard time finding workforce, right? Um, that's going to drive us in. If you like uh, Mariana Wanamaker over at UT, if you she's got a great presentation on population shrinking. So the population isn't there to to backfill the uh, you know the baby boomer generation retiring. What does that mean? That means innovation. That means automation. It's like how do we move towards automation more quickly? I I think we are behind the curve um, on thinking through that and that we're seeing that from the, you know, um, the low unemployment, you know, the workforce, like having a hard, hard time finding people. Um, so that's, that's kind of my opinion on it. We're driving towards automation as much as we can as well. There's just not the talent out there. And I, and if her argument is it's not coming back, you know, so, I mean, it's just, it's where we are as a population. Chad, uh, a conversation on a, another podcast with Nathaniel Morris and, and Nathaniel, it, what we were talking about it, and that's kind of playing into what you just said there. Traditionally, a CEO, let's say looking backward, one is very well versed in, in how they're going to market. They're very well versed with where the, the direction of the company, very well versed in finance and operations. But IT has kind of been on the outside and, and really with it becoming critical and, That's right. you know, and, and essential to, to thriving in business and surviving in some cases, uh, there's this element of, of how, do, how do they partner with a CIO or an external partner to really have conversations so that it, there is that ability to broaden thinking, looking into the future, seeing how automation needs to play or seeing how, you know, the new technologies that are coming out need to be incorporated into the business. And, and, uh, it's at least from, from the conversation that we had, there was this element of, there are a whole group of people who do that, but there are a lot who have lack of better terms, habitual thinking or bias toward the way they've always done it. And it's, it's, uh, it's a risk. It is a risk. And if you think about IT traditionally, right, who does it report to? It usually falls under the CFO. Why was that historically, right? Now that that's makes sense, right? Um, what was the first automated system or kind of computer system that was put into a company? An accounting system, right? So the accountants got technology. And so it, you know, even today, most companies, IT falls under the CFO. I think we need to reconsider that from that standpoint, like, uh, you know, where it's actually tra transitioning to a more operational aspect. And there's, there's systems that run the whole entire organization that are much larger than the accounting function. Um, and so there's like potentially a misalignment of like where, where the IT reports to should that move to the CEO. There's a great argument um, to be made that as the, the company grows, there's the innovation of how, how to get there. You know, or is it, you know, the COO, you know, I mean, the, the CFO still in some organizations, I mean, they're, 
bright people too, but I don't know if it's, it's kind of, it affects a larger part of the organization than it did before. That makes sense. The mass is usually in the operations side, not in the accounting function. Well, and, and that's to that point, you know, it's, and, and think about the evolution, you know, from, or I will say the, the levels we look at an accountant who's responsible for, you know, doing the data, entering the data, right. You know, right. looking at the data, you know, massaging, then you have the controller, you know, that title has more been about compliance, making sure we do all the things we got to do, you know, tax reporting and payroll, all the things that need to be done. Then we have the CFO, which is really charged with how do we leverage our assets in the business better? And, and so that conversation with a CEO is, okay, here's what we have. Here's what we can leverage. Here's some ideas. And so that conversation happens. And then to your point, you know, it's that element of how do we bring the, the chief technology person, CIO, and again, there's an evolution there. There's the technical piece, but this, there's that element that says, okay, how do we integrate better in the business, but how do we leverage those assets to help the business be more competitive or be more operationally efficient, the things that we need to do to be, to, to survive and, and to thrive in the business. Right. And I think you had a really good point too, you know, that the CEO is driving vision, right? You know, the, the CFO is typically executing on that vision and the CIO is, is falling out there. Should that CIO actually be helping the CEO drive the vision? through technology advances. I mean, I think that's, I think you made a, a great case for it. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I, and I don't own any of this. I learned this from people talking to people like you on these podcasts. So, <laughs> uh, but it is that element of the best vision it, you know, comes from knowing where your, your market's heading. Cause they're only talking to your clients, talking to your market changes, but also bringing in these ideas from your organization because the people who are touching it, the people who are more aware of certain things, like you, you talked about earlier, this element of going to talk to your clients, they don't know your business as well as you do, and you don't know their business as well as they do. Well, it's the same thing with a CEO, a CFO, a CIO, a chief sales officer, whatever those roles are in a company. That's why those conversations are so important because there's some ideas that sometimes you get hidden because you're not having the conversation. Agreed. I mean, so vendor registry, perfect example, public procurement, right? Guess how much public procurement experience I had before I started vendor registry? Zero. All I did was sit with uh, those purchasing officers um, and, and the vendor community and figured out what their process was and started putting things in place. I mean, really getting down and talking to the customer, really figuring out what it is, how do they run their process and then automating, right? So that was, that was the whole premise of it too. And so, I mean, I think that's through our businesses too, is like having um, a firm or internally someone that can go, okay, we want to get here. Here's the end, right? Here's the total vision and then work our way towards it. Um, yeah, pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Before we close up here, I, I, I really want to really dig into your thinking as a CEO now, having been in these different roles and you, you, 
kind of played at that earlier. It was what you learned all these different places that really helps you in putting all these pieces together now. But now that you're the CEO and you've been there for a little while, one of the things that really stand out to you as being, here's what's critical about my role. Um, I think there's a couple areas. Um, one is vision, where's the company going? We've talked about that. And then two, the focus of like, you know, some people call it, you know, culture or whatnot. Um, uh, one of my big missions is really being a employee-focused company. Um, and really in uh, um, evaluating the talent, who do we have on the talent? How do we bring those, um, the right talent on board? Um, but the whole idea is like, if we have a really good place for people to work and we treat them really well, and they feel a part of the team and their voices are heard. Guess what? If, if we're treating them very well, guess what they do? They in turn and treat our customers well. And so it's just, um, and, um, you know, um, there are companies that are customer focused, but they sacrifice their employees. And for us at Claris, even, you know, I've been to registry too. I mean, it was one of those, it was such a tight knit group of people that just love working together. And when they love working together, they love serving their, their, their serving our clients. And our clients felt that too. They wanted to be a part of our culture. And I, the same thing here at 10 Hats is like, um, you know, our clients feel like family and, you know, and they're friends and we spend time with them. Um, the first part is really getting that employee um, bought into the mission of that, you know, this place is for them. I feel, uh, you know, CEO, I guess, you know, you're, you're the top person, but I feel more like the, the shepherd of like, you know, really making sure that this uh, this flock that I've been given or whatnot is, you know, uh, well protected, well, um, well loved and just, you know, well respected and given them opportunity to grow. And, um, you know, the better that they are, the better I am, you know, and we hire people. Uh, um, one guy that we, one of the first ones I recruited back here, we had a, a folding, like as we grow, there was like two rules, but you to simplify them, right? Uh, two rules. I was like, you know, we're going to bring back our friends, but at first we have to have a role. Like we have to have a job function and that person has to be able to, to fulfill that job function. And two, we got to like them. That was our two rules. And so it's just one of those, like, you know, as we've grown, it's like, okay, we've got this role, you know, who do we like and we know they can do this role. And if they don't fit in those, if they don't fit in one of those buckets, you know, I mean, um, as we grow, we will add them later. <laughs> but I mean, they have to be, they have to be, they have to fit into that. Um, and then just vision and can continue driving. Like, hey, we've got goals, let's achieve them. Let's, you know, um, uh, the team knows that I'm gonna, uh, you know, uh, part of the time I'm leading, I'm thinking, but other times I'm jumping right in with them. And if they need, you know, help in any ways, I'm, I'm right there with them. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten a few phone calls at three o'clock in the morning and answer the call and see what's going on, you know? So, I mean, it's just, it's just part of it. I, I want to be there for them. I mean, it's, um, so we can count on them so we can continue to have this culture of employee focused. 
one of the best organizations. I've worked for a couple of great organizations, but one of the best, and, and one of the clearly the leader, one of the best leaders, I worked for this lady, Ann Worcester, several years ago. And uh, during the 90s, we grew rapidly. But to your point, her philosophy was very simple. Take care of your clients, take care of the people. If we do those two things, it's amazing what we're going to achieve. And, and while she didn't say it exactly that way, that was clearly the message that we got. So it was a lot of attention given to, one, being transparent uh, with our clients with what we could do. Uh, if when there was a problem, stepping up for you know, to it immediately. Uh, second was regards to our employees was, you know, treat them as people, you know, have conversations, let them know where we're going, what we're doing. Um, and, uh, and no hidden agendas. That was one of the elements. So I'll say it was kind of underlying to all of that was, yeah, that was hidden agendas. Uh, that was that piece of, and she was super at making sure that if we said something, we knew what it meant and yeah. what someone else was thinking it meant. And so, yeah, really paying close attention to that. So yeah, I just, uh, I heard this in college and I've used this multiple times with the team. Um, it's like when we're having a, like we have a core value, it's like, uh, understand and be understood. Mm -hmm. And so, and I tell them this whole thing It's like, uh, I heard this in college. Um, it's like, do you know how many in a two person conversation, there's actually four people. There's, uh, what you say and what you think you said, what you, what the other person heard and what they think they heard. Now, if one of those people, one of those four people in that conversation didn't get it right, then you had miscommunication. So I was like thinking, you know, I, you know, I use this analogy all the time of like, hey, just a two-person conversation. You think, hey, your communication is going to be easy. It's really, it's not as easy as you think. So uh, always, you know, we're always reiterating that, making sure that we, you know, communicate as well as we possibly can. I like that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll remember that one. That's. Well, any closing thoughts on anything you would think to that you would like to share with someone? Oh, would you like to share with other CEOs? You know, I mean, it's, um, like I said, I do a lot of self-reflection. Um, there's a, uh, and, um, you know, when I look at being the CEO, it's like, I want to work for the guy. I want to be the guy that I always wanted to work for. Right. Um, and, uh, and then there was also a lot of mentorship too. Um, Jim Vandersteek, CEO of Covenant, we have monthly sessions where he challenges me to grow. Uh, uh, and the, the CFO, uh, John Jeppe, the same. And there's like a, there's a group of these individuals that I really uh, look to for wisdom um, all through, you know, all throughout, just as I continue to grow and then draw on all those experiences of, different people that I worked for and, and then one was a visionary, one was an operator, one was, you know, so it was how pulling the best out of like what of each one of those people had. And I, I really do. I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to be the person that I wanted to work for, you know, I would want to work for. And that's a high bar, um, you know, to, to, to constantly get to be challenged on that. And then, you know, uh, I made mistakes. So saying sorry to, you know, even our, you know, lowest employee or whatever you want to say, they made the other, it's funny, like, uh, uh in the IT world, the uh, frontline guys are, uh, uh, lowest on the total pole, but honestly, they're probably one of the most important people on the company. They are the most important people. That's who engages with our customers. 
So they deserve all the respect. And um, with a young guy um, right now that's making a few mistakes, and it's just like those are the lessons, you know, that we all learned when we were young that, you know, we take throughout our whole career. And it's just, you know, the, the idea is like, let's not make it again. Um, and really coaching those guys. And that's where I think being the CEO from that standpoint of growing our team, growing each individual in their own individual way, and I'll, okay. just act. is, you know, uh, I'll know the secret or I don't, I don't know if I know any secrets, but that's, that's what I do know, right? That's at least what I think. Well, those are great insights, Brian. I think it are those elements. It's everybody in the organization is important. Otherwise, you wouldn't have hired them to be in those positions, whatever it is. That's right. I want to thank you for the for the conversation today. Get to know you better. Get to know more about your philosophies. And and uh, and obviously, as the CEO of Ten Hats, you're out there working with the world today, and uh, and helping it get to where we need to be. So, well, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Well, thank you, Bob. This was a this was a lot of fun.